Well, let's uh, dive in here. You are going to get plenty of British history, uh, so we'll enjoy that. But for a long time, a chief question for British historians was how Britain emerged from a relatively inconsequential island to the world's preeminent superpower in the span of only 100 years. And the answers put forth often centered on individuals. It was the military genius of so-and-so or the political cunning of such-and-such. And, and then along came John Brewer, and he wrote a book called The Sinews of Power. I just love that title, right? It conjures up images of the body. And in his work, Brewer put forth an entirely different kind of thesis. Brewer posited that the military and commercial growth of Britain could not be attributed to one or two individuals. Instead, it was, it was thanks in large part to thousands of highly trained tax collectors. Right, could there be a more boring thesis than that? <laughs> uh, well, you haven't read my work, so don't, don't answer that. But, uh, men who are able to perform on-the-fly calculations as they interacted with shopkeepers and business owners to collect taxes to finance the public debt. Right? So not exactly the, the sexiest thesis you could put out. But it was the day-to-day, -day, seemingly normal interactions between thousands of individuals that transformed Britain into a superpower. Let me say that again. It was the day-to-day, -day, seemingly normal interactions between thousands of individuals, not the actions of a few kings or generals. And so when we think of Father Aaron's great vision for our church to be a spiritual beacon in Chicago, that's an exciting thought, right? To be a spiritual beacon. How will this be accomplished? When we think of how we will personally grow to become more like Jesus, and how those sitting to our left and to our right will become more like Jesus, how will this happen? And when we think of how we will persevere in the faith despite the pitfalls of sin, and temptation, to meet Jesus on our last day, how will we do this, right? How will all these things be accomplished? What I want to say this morning is that it will not primarily be accomplished by one or two dynamic leaders. It will be done by all of us in seemingly normal day-to-day -day interactions. Right? So we are the sinews of power as part of the body of Christ. I think that's a really beautiful image. So if you are a Christian, you are part of the church, and the church, listen to this, the church is God's primary vehicle he uses to accomplish his purposes on earth. I'll say that again. If you are a Christian, you are part of the church, and the church is God's primary vehicle he uses to accomplish his purposes on earth. Isn't that an exciting thought this morning? And so this morning, what I want you to know about yourself is that if you are a Christian, if you are united with Christ, you are God's gift to his people. God has filled you with his spirit to be a gift to the church, to all the other people who have been united with Christ and are a part of his body. And so the question naturally arises then, what are you gifting to God's people? What are you called to give to God's people? And the answer is me, you, we're all called to help one another become more like Jesus by sharing the truth in love. So if you are a Christian this morning, you have an identity and a purpose. You are God's gift to his people. And I, uh, just this past week, actually, I was speaking with a friend who's a high school teacher in Chicago. And he mentioned that his students no longer dream of growing up to be actresses or, or sports stars. And what he said they actually want to be is YouTube stars. Um, so they want a, a large following that is obsessed with how interesting they are as human beings, right? with how unique and funny and dynamic and talented they might be. Uh, but that's not who we are as God's gift this morning. That's not where we find our identity. It's not in a cult of personality. When we think of ourselves as a gift, Paul is not speaking of our dynamic personality or our artistic ability, or anything of that sort. Look what Paul says in another one of his letters. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
And so the gift we can offer one another, it's not our stature, our expertise, or our social standing. It's not what we have tried to create as part of our personal identity projects. It's not what we work so hard to project to the world, and, and thank God that it is not those things. The growth of the church of God is not dependent on how dynamic or engaging you and I are. And it does not depend on artistic ability or any sort of business savvy. And all those things can be and are important, but the weight of building up of God's church by our own sheer force of personality would be overwhelming. Instead, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit working through us as we share our presence, and even more so as we speak the truth in love, that the church of God will be built up. That is how the church of God will be built up, and that's how Emmanuel will become a superpower. It's by sharing our lives with one another. And while we are sharing our lives, we will share the truth and love with one another. The truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, and the truth that we find in the scriptures. And so this morning, what I want you to know is that you are God's gift to his people. I think that's a really encouraging thought. In Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 10 state, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And so Paul tells us this morning, partially through citing a portion of Psalm 68, that each one of us as Christians has received grace through Jesus Christ following his ascension into heaven. But let's back up here a minute. We're also told by Paul that Christ descended. Christ came in his incarnation. He took on human flesh. He descended to the earth in part to serve as our substitute. So Christ, being fully God, also became fully man. He was born and lived and was tempted in every way. But unlike you or I, he never sinned. He never rebelled against God the Father. He was perfect and spotless in every way. He was our substitute in his life. He lived the life that we should have lived, one of complete obedience to God. And he was also our substitute in his death. We are deserving of God's judgment for our sin. We deserve eternal separation and punishment from the Father. But Jesus bore our punishment on his body on the cross. And he died, and three days later he rose again, conquering sin and death and the forces of evil, as Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. So when we come to Jesus in faith, when we place our hope in him and trust in his work as the risen Savior, he is our substitute in both his life and his death. The perfect life that he lived, his righteousness is credited to us, and the punishment that we deserve, all of us this morning, that we deserved, is taken on the body of Jesus, and then we are united with Jesus for all of eternity. So that's how we become united with Christ in this act of faith and this great substitution. Well, Paul tells us that after his resurrection that Jesus ascended, and at the time of his ascension to heaven, he led a host of captives with him. He freed us from our sin and the forces of evil and returned to heaven and a seat of prominence. And from there, he fills all things, which means he rules over the entire universe. There's not a speck of the whole universe that isn't ruled by Jesus Christ this morning. And not only did he free us from our sin, but he imparted, gift, he imparted gifts to us all as a conquering king might share the spoils of war with his soldiers. And so what I believe this primarily means is that God fills Christians with the gift of his Holy Spirit to work through him by his power to be a gift to the church. So we are filled with a gift of the Holy Spirit to be a gift to God's people. And again, we are a gift in that we help other Christians to love Jesus more and to become more like Jesus. 
God gives us the strength by his spirit to speak the truth in love so that our brothers and sisters can love and know Jesus more. And uh, I thought it might be helpful to pause here for a moment and, and discuss something that's been on my mind and maybe on the hearts of, of other people here. And I think it's a topic that naturally arises whenever we talk about community within the church, and that, that topic is loneliness. Because um, we find unity as Christians in a number of ways, but one of the main ways is by our dependence on the gospel. We find unity by the hope and salvation we have in the work and person of Jesus Christ. But you might ask this morning, then why do I feel so lonely? Right? You're talking about this glorious gospel and this unity we can find through the blood and power and work of Jesus Christ. So why do I feel so disconnected? Why do I feel like all the people here sitting this morning are strangers to me? You ever sit down and feel that way when you come to church? You might ask, you want me to share my life with these people, to tell them the truth and love, but at this point, I just want to feel connected. I just want friends. Well, let me start by saying, and I sincerely mean this, that we're sorry for any ways, and when I say we, I mean every person who regularly attends the manual. I'm sorry for any ways we might have failed you. We're sorry for not reaching out to you like we should have. We're sorry for not making you feel part of this family this morning. Um, you know, I've, I still have painful memories of arriving to a new school uh, my junior year of high school. And the first couple of classes were okay because I could sit back and be quiet and, and not disturb anyone. But I hadn't thought what lunch would be like, right? You probably all have that in your mind right now, what, what that could be like. Uh, so when it came time to eat, I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I didn't even know where the library was to go and read. So the bell rang, and, and here I am in this new school. Um, and so I ended up sitting in the bathroom alone, reading a book for an hour. Um, and I think that's some of us how some of us feel this morning here. Right? We feel isolated and alone. Uh, G.K. Chesterton had this to say about loneliness. There are no words to express the abyss between isolation and having one ally. Isn't that a beautiful thought? It may be conceded to the mathematician that four is twice two, listen to this, but two is not twice one, two is 2,000 times one. Isn't that the truth, right? Just one ally, I think, is what so many of us are looking for. And I think of how much I wished, right, just one person had come up to me at the end of fourth period and said, hey, come sit with us at lunch, right? I don't know you, you don't know me, but come sit with us. Um, and so can I ask this morning, if you feel lost in the abyss of loneliness, to let one of the leaders here know. Let Father Aaron or Dan Fager or Susan Radicke know, Josh here up in front, uh, come up after the service or you can write it on the back of your bulletin and, and drop it into the offering as it goes around. Because as we enter the season of Lent, as Father Aaron likes to say, no one needs to go through it alone. We can get you plugged into a small group. Someone can meet you for coffee. Right? I'll gladly sign up for that. You can come and talk to me after the service. Because the fact of the matter is that Chicago can be a lonely city that grinds you down. Don't you feel that sometimes? It just grinds on you. And we're here to help, and we want to help. And again, we're sorry for any ways that we might have failed you. And we can't promise you awkward, free conversations, right? uh, especially if you're meeting with me. I can't do that for you. Uh, but we can promise to, to get you connected here. Um, and on a more lighthearted note, I think a lot of us have an awkward, uh, not an awkward, we have an irrational fear of awkward conversations. Um, I read a letter just a while ago from a son to his father on the American frontier, and he listed what he was scared of, and he said, the complete darkness, the threat of sickness without a doctor nearby, wild and rabid animals, and raids from warring tribes. Uh, but curiously absent from that list is his fear of awkward conversations. <laughs> uh, and so I think that could help th put things into a little bit of perspective for us, right? That at least we don't have wild and rabid animals that are after us. Um, 
But all that to say, a few moments of strange silence isn't that bad if it could mean a friend later on. That's what I want us to, to hear this morning. So Paul goes on in verses 11 through 12 stating, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And this is really interesting here, because here we find God's workflow chart for building up the body of Christ. Both quantitatively and qualitatively, we see God's workflow chart. That is, Paul explains how more people will come to know Christ and how Christians will grow to become more like Christ. He's laying out his plan here. And first he says that God gives us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And who were these people? Well, they were most likely recognized officers in the early church, but I want us to notice about all of them that they all had the task of being heralds of God's word. They were all called to preach and teach the good news of Jesus Christ. So again, we might think of Father Aaron, Susan, our bishop, people who hold offices and have the task of devoting all or part of their lives to proclaiming God's word to God's people, of teaching it, unpacking it, and explaining it. And to what end, right? What is the goal of what they're trying to do? In part, the purpose of having these leaders is to equip all the saints for the work of ministry. But before I get to that statement, I just thought I'd point out that we live in a society where specialization is equated with efficiency and excellence. And in fact, specialization of labor is one of the bedrocks of capitalism. And when I I wrote that statement, I realized I might get tense, right? Is he going to say something for or against capitalism? Actually, I'm going to talk about Donald Trump, so but, no, I'm just uh, that's, uh, my intent, right, isn't to be controversial this morning. It's not to uh, make some political statement. I, I just want to point out something that we all embrace, right? And in his famous work, The Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith says in reference to the making of pens, which is pretty obscure, a workman not educated to this business could scarce perhaps, with his utmost industry, make one pen a day, and certainly could not make 20 Adam Smith says, maybe one guy on his own could produce one pen a day. But he goes on to say that if you split the individual tasks of pen making apart so that one man draws out the wire, another straights it, a third cuts it, a fourth points it, a fifth grinds it, you could perhaps perhaps make 12,000 pens in a day if 10 people really put their hearts and minds to it. So specialization, we have been taught, is the key to efficiency and growth. But Paul tells us that our leaders, our pastors, those who minister the word to us, do so in order to equip all the saints for the work of ministry. So when we think of ministry, we don't think of specialization. We think of all of us together. It's not the task for a few, uh, chosen few. It's everyone's calling on a day-to-day basis. So our leaders pour into us so that we can pour into one another. So that, as Paul puts it, we can build up the body of Christ, all of us working together. We do this again by sharing our lives with one another, and while we share our lives, we also share the truth and love. So it's not only being around each other, it's sharing the truth of the gospel and love with one another. And Paul continues telling us that this task we are called to is to continue until we are all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so, in other words, we are to fill this calling, fulfill this calling as God's gift to his people until our last days. Right? As God's gift to his people, you are called to minister for your whole life until you meet Jesus. There's no retirement from this calling. And the ultimate goal we are striving for is to help ourselves, to help one another be more like Jesus Christ. Right? As Paul puts it, we are striving to attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
It's an amazing statement. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Theologian F.F. Bruce puts it this way, the glorified Christ provides the standard at which his people are to aim. The corporate Christ cannot be content to fall short of the perfection of the personal Christ. Again, the corporate Christ cannot be content to fall short of the perfection of the personal Christ. So in every way, in every part of our lives, we are called to help one another become more like Jesus Christ. And by doing this, we will also help one another avoid the siren call of false teachings, of any promise that would be contrary to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when I was reflecting on these verses, um, I thought of my last days as a youth pastor. I, I was a youth pastor with, my pastor was kind enough to join us here, Pastor Rob, but I was a youth pastor for seven years. And so in our last few months, we thought it'd be fun to have one last trip with the high schoolers. And originally the plan was to go whitewater rafting, but it was in August. And if you know anything about rivers in Wisconsin, um, it was too low at that time. So we thought we'd substitute and that we'd go tubing together. That sounded like a good time. So I Googled it, and I found a place in southern Wisconsin, and I called them up, and I can't stress this enough, I repeatedly asked, are you a family-friendly attraction? Um, right? So again, I, was a, I don't even know if my pastor knows the story, so I guess we're, we're getting it out today. Uh, and I was assured repeatedly by them that they were indeed a family-friendly attraction. Um, so we packed up 20 kids, and we headed north in a van. Uh, and when we got there, they offered us rope, and they said, you might all want to latch each other together, and you can ride down this river as a group. And we figured, again, it was a family-friendly attraction, so the kids could tube around as they please. Well, let me just say that when we got on the river, it felt as though we had walked into a live theater adaptation of the American Pie movies. Um, people drinking and fighting, all sorts of bachelor and bachelorette parties. Kids were floating near fistfights, right? It was, it was a total mess. Um, and the worst part was that it was a windy river, and so every turn deceived you into thinking that it might be over. But, right? but that, uh, that thing lasted four hours. We were out there. Uh, right? so, so what did we do? Right? We grabbed branches and shoe, literally shoelaces and long sleeve t-shirts, and we bound all the kids together. Right? And that, that's how we made it through. Right? And I think that's, you know, even though it's a, a joking story, I think that is an image Paul would have for us this morning. All of us together encouraging and challenging one another, bound together by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the goal is not to exclude anyone. Right? It's with open arms we invite anyone in. But Paul has this uh, image of the church, all of us bound together by the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me add that as a mutually interdependent group, there are no private sins. There are no private affairs as part of the body of Jesus Christ. And Ignatius of Loyola provides a helpful insight into this, and I'm changing his meaning somewhat. But he says that we often like to treat our sin as if we are hiding an affair. Everything is quiet, everything is secret, we go out of our way to deceive. But our call this morning is to open up every part of our lives to one another. It's to lay it all out on the table and say, here is where I'm falling short of Jesus Christ. It's not to be sneaky, it's not to be deceitful, it's a call to be open with one another. And I would add that as part of the body of Christ, you can no longer say that your sin has no consequences for others. You are called to be God's gift to build his people up, but unrepentant sin hinders you from doing that. If you are involved in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, are addicted to gossip or pornography, or a miser with your money, these things hinder you from sharing the truth in love. These things hinder you from being a gift to God's people, and so they hinder you from, from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. 
And Paul then draws this section to a close, stating that by speaking the truth in love, we are, all, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up, up in love. So again, Paul says, by speaking the truth and love to one another is how we will become more like Jesus Christ. It's how we will be built up as a church, all of us bound together. And I think that raises a natural question. How will we find the strength to doing this? How will we find the strength to, to keep doing this? As I mentioned before, this is a lifelong calling. And it's a calling to share the truth and love that can be exhausting and tiring and sometimes painful. It's something you just want to break from. But we draw our strength this morning from the head of the body. If we are the body of Christ, we draw our strength from the head of the body. Paul tells us that if we are the sinews of power, the source of our power is Christ. He is the one that makes the body grow. And so it's like we are a network of electrical cables and Jesus is the power gener generator. We are his conduits as he works through us. And so I would encourage all of us this morning to think of the head and specifically to think of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think of these things when it comes to finding the strength and the courage to open up your life to another person, to share the truth and love with another person who needs to hear it. Pastor Tim Keller provides a helpful explanation of why truth and love are so important. He states that love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. He then explains where we can find the strength to share both truth and love. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet radical, unconditional commitment to us. And Keller says that another place, that the gospel teaches us that we are more sinful than we could ever imagine, but more loved than we could ever dream. I think that's the truth of the gospel here. So we find the strength and power to tell the truth and love in part by looking to the gospel by seeing our need for truth and love and the example that Jesus sets for us. So we let that inspire and wash over us this morning as we think about the courage it really takes to share your life with another person, uh, the endurance it takes to join one another in our lives and to share the truth and love. And so what would all this look like together this morning? What would it look like to share our lives with one another, to love one another, and at the same time encourage and challenge one another based on the teachings of Scripture? What would it look like for me and you to be a gift to God's people. Well, it begins by saturating ourselves in prayer and scripture. If we are to encourage and challenge others, we need to know the Bible. We need to know the truth of God so that we can point others to it. Notice that Paul is not simply saying that we need to be around one another. We need to be in another's presence. He's saying you need to share the truth of Jesus Christ with one another. You need to challenge and point people back to the truths that we find in Holy Scriptures. So for some of us this morning, perhaps it begins by committing to read the Bible on a regular basis. I think that could be a simple goal, saying I'm going to saturate myself in Scripture so that I can be a gift to God's people. I want to be a gift, and I want to share my life, but I also want to be able to share the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, it also involves more than spending time with one another. What Paul is speaking of this morning is more than being in one another's presence. It's sharing your life and your struggles and the deepest part of who you are as a human being. And so for that, it likely means reaching out beyond your current friend group. It likely means trying to bring other people in from the margins to join us, right, all on this river, right, to join us, to bound all of us together, to be a part of this challenge, to be a gift, and to share life together. 
It involves inviting friends into your life. And I want to encourage you that this morning to be thinking of who in my life can I invite in? Who in my life can I ask to be invited in? Right? Who can I begin to share my life? Who can I begin to open up and say, hey, I want you to know every part of me. And even more so, I want to challenge you. I want you to challenge me. I want us to encourage one another by the truth of the scriptures. Right? It involves granting people permission to challenge and encourage you. I don't think anyone's just going to come up and, and present you with this opportunity. It involves reaching out. It involves being proactive in all of this. And more so, perhaps, it involves recognizing that we all need one another to grow in Christ. Right? We are the sinews of power. This is where the church will be built up. It's in these seemingly normal day-to-day interactions with one another. It's in things that from the outside maybe look like just having coffee, right? but it's actually opening up and sharing your life. And so maybe for some of us, this begins by uh, joining a small group, which is still possible. Right? You can uh, send an email to Jennifer Wood if you're curious about that. But for some of us, perhaps that's where it starts, is joining a small group and saying, I don't have this in my life. I'm, I'm not really bound together with other Christians, but I want to begin to be. I see the beauty and the hope that's there. And so I want to conclude this morning uh, with a few moments of silent prayer and reflection. And while we'll do so, I'm just going to throw out a few questions for us to consider. But if you bow your heads with me. Am I right now fulfilling my calling to be a gift to God's people? What do I need to change? What do I need to do different in order to fulfill my calling to be a gift to God's people? Is there unconfessed sin that is keeping me from being a gift to the people of God? What would it look like for me to be a gift to God's people this week or this month? In the last three months, have I sought to make someone new feel welcome here? Have I invited them into my life? And finally, who can I be a gift to this week? Close us in prayer. Almighty and ever-living God, ruler of all things in heaven and earth, hear our prayers for this parish family. Strengthen the faithful, arouse the careless, and restore the penitent. Grant us all things necessary for our common life, and bring us all to be of one heart and mind within your holy church, through Jesus Christ our Lord.